Let's read these verses again. We know so well in Acts chapter 1, just to remind us, and I'm just going to read three verses that I'm going to use to remind us of three elements of Pentecost that we must ever keep in mind. And I mean we need to always keep these in mind. Verse 1 of Acts 1, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. You know, Luke talks like Jesus isn't dead. The Gospels don't end with that little two-word phrase, the end. There is no the end at the end of the Gospel or the end of Acts or the end of Revelation. <laughs> Glory to God. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Verse 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many, and his passion referring to his crucifixion, by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then in chapter 2, in verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. I like this. And suddenly... How many saw that last week Amen. in our camp meeting? Suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm glad I'm part of a church that when I read that verse, it's not to me just a historical event. It's not something that's foreign that I have to just sit and wonder about, wonder what that was like. I'm in a church where that's still going on. <laughs> Hallelujah, glory to the Lamb of God. I'm glad about that, aren't you? That they still speak in tongues. Because the Spirit of God gives. Hallelujah. You may be seated here this morning. Praise the Lord. Pentecostal elements. Pentecostal elements. Not anything new, but fundamentals that I want to remind you of today. That I want you to keep these three things in your mind. Because you are going to be confronted with them in the days ahead again and again. And these are things in which you are going to need to remind yourself or you're going to lose out. You're going to be confused. You're going to be dismayed, discouraged, distracted, detoured. And I want you to remember these things because you are in this morning a Pentecostal church. 
There's a lot in the Christian world that don't even know what that means. They've not read the book, I suppose, and, uh, and they don't have any clue. They don't know the difference. I've had people ask me what, so many times, what's the difference between a Pentecostal and a Baptist? Well, I'm always happy to answer. But I don't even know that they will grasp the answer, quite frankly. But you know what? One of the best ways for me to be taught to tell you is, you know what? Because there's a lot of difference. There's a lot of difference. It's not just we speak in tongues, but there's a lot of difference. But I'll tell you what you do. Why don't you go spend about six months in a Baptist church? They probably already are in one. And I'll tell you what you do. Come spend six months in this one. And uh, come live with some of us for four or five months and you'll see the difference. Amen? Amen. And there ought to be a difference. There ought to be a difference between a Pentecostal church and a non-Pentecostal church. If, I, if there is such a thing. The church of Jesus Christ is Pentecostal. The church that Jesus birthed is Pentecostal. The church that Jesus birthed is Pentecostal. Come on now. Oh, that's his church. That's the one he owns. That's the one he directs. We better understand that. We've gotten away from that. We have thought the Pentecost was just this little segment, just this little option, just this little side note or a side show. And that the, the bulk of Christendom is, is, is non-Pentecostal and, and the Pentecostals are just this little far-fetched radical element out there in left field that, that some of the spiritual ones or some of the, the, the more crazy ones are a part of or the more radical ones are a part of. No, sir, let me tell you, this is where it began, all right? It began in Acts chapter 2. It didn't begin in somewhere in just a, a, a town where people got together and said, you know what, we need to live better. You know what, we need to start obeying the Bible. It began with the sound of a rushing mighty wind. It began with cloven tongues of fire sitting upon every one of them. It began with every one of them speaking in tongues and being filled with the Holy Ghost. That is the root of Christianity. You've got to keep that in your mind. I want, you to, I want you to listen to me as I talk to you again about these three Pentecostal elements because I want to drive this home. And I, don't want you, I want you to quit worrying about, what about those? What about those? That's not your concern this morning. Your concern is what about us? I am not so concerned about how the church down the road is living. God will judge them. God will take care of that. That's going to be his business. I'm not telling you it doesn't affect us. I'm not telling you that there's not times interaction and that there's not also times in which that we have to deal with things. But I am telling you our concern is right here. If you spend your time in your household worrying about how everybody else runs their household, you'll never learn to run your household. And you'll be wearing, well, you know what? That daddy down there, he does it this way. Well, what about how that guy raises his kids? Well, what about how they paint their house? Well, what about how he treats his wife? Well, what about them? Are they going to make it? Are they legitimate? I don't know about all that yet. You need to concern yourself with what you're going to do in your house. All right? How are you going to raise your children? 
Oh, glory to the Lamb of God. What are you going to do in your home? How are you going to treat your wife? How are you going to love God? How are you going to raise them? What kind of principles are going to be involved in your house? And my first concern is not what's going on down the street this morning, but where we are in Jesus Christ, who we are in Jesus Christ. What will be the identity of this church? That is first and foremost. And when we are secure, confident, and settled in who we are, then we are well capable of dealing with what's out there. But if you're not settled here, that out there will disturb you and get you off off course. Are you with me this morning? So I'm just going to take this here. Here we go. (coughs) You'll have to pardon me. Pentecostal elements, number one, the gospel element. I shared with this, I'm not going through all of that. I just want to make the connection again. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. I shared that with you. You cannot disconnect Pentecost from Calvary. In typology it is connected. Pentecost, or, or Calvary rather, was the or coincided with the feast of Passover, the delivering of the people from Egypt, and became that typology in our life and our exodus from the world and from the life of sin and slavery. By God bringing them out of Egypt, He brought them out of slavery, He brought them out of bondage, He brought them out of idolatry, He brought them out of false gods. He brought them out of a wrong lifestyle. He brought them out of being subject to the kingdom of darkness. He brought them out of a false authority and a godless authority. And he brought them out to live under his authority. He brought them out to worship one God. He brought them out to be the servants and the slaves of Jehovah and not the slaves of Pharaoh. He brought them to liberty. He brought them to lead them to victory. He brought them out to put them in a land of milk and honey. He brought them out and Passover was the celebration of them leaving that life of enslavement and darkness and idolatry and sin and coming into the light and the liberty and the law of God Almighty. But 50 days past that would become Passover or Pentecost. Pentecost was counted by Passover. It was identified with the Passover feast. At the beginning of Passover they would wave the first sheaf of the barley harvest because Passover was followed immediately by a week of what was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But 50 days, seven Sabbaths, uh, they were to number. And on the morrow after the Sabbath, on the first day uh, of the week was going to be Pentecost. Glory to the Lamb of God. A new beginning. The end of barley harvest. The beginning of wheat harvest. uh, Moving into a new harvest. A new crop if you will but connected to the old. God had brought them out and given them a Pentecostal experience. And here in the church became that place in which the church, this event of Pentecost is connected with the event of Passover. And that in also that what Christ did on the day of Pentecost, the people that were there were people who had come to believe Calvary. They were believers in Jesus Christ. The people in the upper room who were filled with the Spirit 
Spirit was not a crowd of sinners. It was not a crowd of immoral people. It was not a crowd of religious seekers. It was not a crowd of Pharisees. It was not a crowd of people who had gathered to be spectators. Every one of them were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of them had been convinced of the death and resurrection of the Lord. Every one of them believed that Jesus was seated at the right hand of God. Every one of them believed he was the Messiah that had come to redeem and save the world. Every one of them believed that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh and that he was their Lord and their Redeemer and that he was going to return for them as the King of glory and the King of all the earth. Every one of them believed that. So that Pentecost fell upon believers and that it became the birthday of the church. So I say to you this morning that without Acts, Luke, and the Gospels are incomplete. If you end the Gospels and would just go into all the world, you're missing an element. Come on now. Because before they could go into all the world, they had to tarry in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. We've got a lot of churches today that are going into all the world but they've never tarried at Jerusalem. We got a lot of people today that are trying to fulfill the commission without having the commissioner. They're trying to fulfill the commission of Jesus Christ without the power of the Holy Ghost to do it. And I'm telling you, we've got to understand that the gospel message must include this message of the power of Pentecost and the message of Pentecost and the advent of the Holy Spirit of God. I submit to you, your Christian experience is incomplete without the fullness of the Spirit. I'm not saying that ugly. I'm not saying that. I'm telling you, Jesus said, Terry, in Jerusalem. He didn't send out half of them to go preach and the other half wait for Pentecost. He didn't say whenever they chose deacons, they said, search out among you men full of the Holy Ghost. Whenever they need men to deal with things in the church, they said, we want men full of the Holy Ghost. There must have been a way they could recognize them. There must have been somehow they could identify them because they had to select them out. You see, we've gotten away from this. We've made this something that, that becomes a buffet choice. We've made Pentecost to become something for a select few. We've made Pentecost to become something it's the exception and not the rule. In the early church, it wasn't the exception. It was the rule. In the early church, it was an exception if you weren't filled. And they dealt with the exception very quickly because the rule was that we live and operate in the power of the Spirit. And God wants us full of the Holy Ghost. He wants His church to be filled with His Spirit and to live and dwell and walk and work in the power that He has sent for us to do it with. The church can say all day long, well, we believe in that power. We believe in that. But you know what? You shove it back in the corner because you have denied the manifestation of it. The very sign by which it became known and manifest in the church, you have said now is of the devil instead of God. What happened on the day of Pentecost, if you took your philosophy today and you took it there, you would have said the apostles were demon-possessed. Hello? I feel the Lord here this morning. That you hang with me today. I'm going to tell you something right now. We are shortchanging the gospel when we don't preach to people you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. 
We are shortchanging their experience. We are causing them to come up short. We are causing them to live with less. We are causing them to try to live the life on less power and less understanding and lesser experience than they should have to do it with. Oh, you can say, but Brother Woods, I just believe, you know, that there are so many other ways that you can recognize the Holy Ghost. Well, why don't you just start naming them, all right? And why don't you just start showing me according to the Word of God? But until you can figure that one out, I'm going to go with what the Word says, glory, of how I can know the Spirit is manifesting among us. I'll do it like the Word says to do it. Understand. I just want you to get this down. We're not a segment of Christianity. We're not a branch of Christianity. We're the root of Christianity. We're not something that looks like what just one little portion was. We're where it started. What happened in here in camp meeting week is what happened on the day of Pentecost. That Holy Ghost had swept through this church felt like a roaring of a train is the very same Holy Ghost that was present on the day of Pentecost and we need it now more than ever. The gospel doesn't end with us just saying Jesus died and rose. Matter of fact, the gospel doesn't end, period. It carries on to let us know about the power of the Holy Ghost. This gospel element, continuation and completion. If we're going to continue what Jesus did, and we're going to complete his work in the earth. We've got to do it the way he started it. He didn't start his ministry until he was full of the Holy Ghost. He never started his preaching till he was full of the Holy Ghost. He never started his mission as Messiah until he was full of the Holy Ghost. And I'm telling you, he wanted the church the same way. You fellas are going to be like me. You're going to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. He wasn't talking about the cross. He was talking about his Holy Ghost baptism. They want to say, are you baptized? Hey, they weren't crucified. They all suffered, and we all suffer in that. But that's not the baptism. He didn't say the baptism. I'm going to be baptized with he said you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with he was talking about baptism he already possessed what baptism was that that was a baptism he had when he got baptized in water and he got filled with the Holy Ghost it was that baptism that one that plunged him into the spirit so that the works he did were done by the power of God that's the baptism you're going to need in order to go out into this world he will not have that church start the work and finish the work rather that he started and do it with less power, do it with less energy, do it with less light. No, sir, you're going to do it the same way I did it. He said, I'm going to send you another comforter. The works that I do, you will do also because I go to the Father. I'm going to send you another comforter. This gospel message is incomplete without preaching about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Secondly is the kingdom element. The kingdom element. What's that all to do with? He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. This is an element that's been divorced from Christianity entirely. Most of Christianity today is Jesus came to forgive you of your sins. Do your best now. 
Now you're just a sinner saved by grace. So you're going to say you're going to sin. Just expect that. Expect to sin every day. But Jesus has forgiven you. And he's got a big eraser. You're justified. You just believe in him. That's the bulk of Christendom today. That's how we're identified. We're weak. We're powerless. Our churches are filled with the same sins that are in the world. And we've gotten so dead that we have to reach out to the world and bring their venues into the church so that we can attract people. So we use their Starbucks and we use their forms of entertainment. We use their forms of music. Hello. Yes, sir. We use their forms of dress. We use their methodologies because that's the only way we can get a crowd. Oh, my. Let me tell you something. That degrades the gospel, makes it as if it's nothing. We've divorced it from the kingdom of God. And the church is no longer distinct. It's just a religion among religions. It's just a social club. It's a religious club. It's a, a spiritual hospital. It's an Aladdin's lamp. It's nothing but a, 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 a charitable organization. We're just a soup kitchen. We're just a, 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 a folks to go out there and feed the poor and help the homeless. And that's all we become. We're just that to, to go out and be something that's to be Mr. Nice Guy, uh, a doormat of the world if we need to be, but we're here to be Mr. Nice Guy to the world. Where is the church that's to be the pillar and ground of the truth? Where is the church that has the keys of the kingdom? Where is the church that stands on the street and declares you are in your sin, sir? Jesus said, receive ye the Holy Ghost and to whosoever sins you remit they are remitted and whosoever sins are remain, they shall remain. In other words, the church has the power to declare to a man when he's in sin and when he's not. Hello. The church has the power by the Holy Ghost to look at a man and say, Sir, if you've indeed repented and turned from your sin, if you are willing to be baptized in water, if you have turned from sin and put your faith in Christ and you're willing to follow him, oh, if you are willing to receive the Spirit and let the Holy Ghost fill your life, can I tell you, sir, your sins are gone. They're under the blood of Jesus and you're a saint of God. You're in the fellowship of Christ. You're in the kingdom of God and we can tell them at the same time if you reject the deity, if you reject the word of Christ, if you reject the Holy Ghost, if you reject water baptism, if you reject the death and resurrection, if you don't want to obey him, if you don't want to turn from your sin, you're still a sinner. You're lost. You're on your way to hell and we have the authority to declare that to this world. We become so wishy-washy that we don't want to make clear, decisive statements anymore. Salvation puts you in God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is at war with the world. God's kingdom is at war with the devil. You understand that? You can't be in this kingdom and be a friend of the world. You can't be in this kingdom and think like the world. You can't be in this kingdom and love like the world. 
You can't be in this kingdom and embrace your sin. You can't be in this kingdom and not be transformed by the light and the love that flows from the king's throne. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, we're in the kingdom. And two things I want to emphasize to you in the kingdom, in this kingdom message. And that is, number one, the sense of lawfulness. I preached it last week. Lawfulness. Secondly, loyalty. Number one, we are to be lawful. Number two, we are to be loyal. We are first lawful subjects. God is not going to let you stay in the kingdom if you rebel against the laws of the kingdom. Oh, you hear me? In this kingdom, in the sense of that, he's not going to have a prison cell for you. He said, if you don't want to obey him, he's going to cast you out. He's going to cast you out into outer darkness. You're not going to be in this kingdom. You're not going to enjoy the presence of the king. You're not going to live in his favor. You're not going to receive his blessing unless you're willing to live under his law. Unless you're willing to be obedient to his authority. If you want to reject the law of God and you want to let it be superseded by the law of men, then I'm telling you, you're in trouble. I'm, I, I am astounded at how one little virus has uncovered the love and fear of the church. It has uncovered that we tremble more before men and the edicts of governors than we do before God Almighty. I read again how this morning yesterday as Peter stood before that council and he looked up those fellas. You see, they had already told him, you are not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus Christ. And he said, fellas, I know you told us that basically. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, you told us that. But you see, what you did was that was a conflict. We've got to make a choice now because you and your authority are now in conflict with God and what he demands. Your demands are in conflict with God's demands. Your authority is in conflict with God's authority. And we had to make a choice. And can I tell you, we tremble more before the scepter of Jesus Christ than the lash of a Roman council. We tremble more before the word of the Messiah than the word of a Pharisee. We tremble more before the high priest of heaven than the high priest in earth. We're in the kingdom. I have no idea what's going to go on in this nation. I'm honest with you. I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold for us. But I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep building the kingdom. What if they tell you not to preach? I'm going to preach anyway. What if they tell you you can't have church? We're going to have church anyway. What if they put you in prison? Great. We can assemble in a prison house. They've done that before. It is no problem. <laughs> Glory to God. A church is not foreigner to prisons. Oh, pastors, apostles have been in prison. Hey, we might there just see, sir. They tried that. Herod the Great tried that. Or not Herod the Great. Herod Antipas tried that. Not Herod Antipas, Herod Agrippa. I'll get it in a moment. Glory. Herod Agrippa tried that. He tried putting some in prison. And God sent an angel by night and delivered him out. Glory. Hey, they tried it down in Philippi. 
put a couple down prison there and God sent an earthquake and opened up the doors of the prison. We do not fear prison, sir. We do not fear that. That's not our, our, our thing. We're not worried about it. We're in the kingdom of God. We recognize that sometimes the enemy, he tries to take a prisoner of war. He tries to lock us up. But I can tell you, we're the Lord's prisoner. We're not the enemy's prisoner. We belong to Jesus Christ. We're in the kingdom. And we're going to obey God's laws first and foremost. Secondly, is loyalty. Are your loyalty to Christ is expressed in two ways. Number one, our loyalty to his work. You see, you got to keep this in mind. You can get so fearful about your American citizenship and your American economy and your American culture that you forget that's all going to pass away anyway. I'm going to an eternal kingdom. I'm in that kingdom. And I'm going to be loyal to the Lord's work. Hello? You better ask yourself, what are you doing to build the church of Jesus Christ? That's what I want to know. How are you advancing the kingdom? What are you doing each week to see that the cause of Christ advances? I'm not talking about what you're doing every week to make sure your bills are paid. I'm not talking about what you're doing every week just to make sure that, you know, everything's comfortable and that, that you get everything, you know, so that, hey, I got, my, I got my, my, my nest nailed down and everything's okay. I'm talking about are you consciously living in the presence of God? You see, when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, He baptizes you so you can walk in the Spirit and fulfill the righteousness of the law. You can be a lawful subject, but He baptizes you too so you can do the work of Christ. I quoted it earlier. John chapter 14, Jesus said it's expedient for you that I go away. If I don't go away, the comforter's not going to come. In that context, in John chapter 14, he tells him, I'm going away. But he said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send you somebody. And he said, but I'm going to tell you, the works that I do, how shall you do also? He that believeth on me, the works that I do. And he said also, greater works than me shall you do, because I go to my Father. What did he do when he went to the Father? He sent the Holy Ghost. And it's by the Holy Ghost that we do these greater works. We are still here in the Holy Ghost to do the work of Jesus Christ. We are here to preach the gospel. We're here to further the agenda of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're here to ask ourselves, Lord, here we are in America. You know our surrounding. You know what needs to be done. Tell us. Make us, Lord, a way that we can be delivered from, Lord, the enemy so that we may preach the word of God and know that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. you got to get that consciousness that in your life, you're a subject of Christ's kingdom. I know we're torn. I'm torn. I've read a pile of American history. A pile of it. I know the history of this country. I still read it. I love it. I enjoy it. It tears my heart out to see what's going on in our country. But I can't let that detour me or become a priority or dictate my steps. 
or discourage me in the kingdom work. As I understand, all of that will fade. Glory to the Lamb of God. The king's fixing to step out. What difference is it going to matter whether about Democrat or Republican when he steps out on the cloud? Glory. Glory to the Lamb of God. When he comes like lightning, shining from the east to the west, what difference is it going to make who occupies the White House, who occupies the Congress? The king is coming. The king is coming. I'm in the kingdom of God. I'm in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. I am here to advance that kingdom. And be loyal to the Lord's work. Woo! Hallelujah. And I'm going to be loyal to his worship. We are not going to be ashamed to lift our voices. We are not going to be ashamed to speak of our Lord. We are not going to be ashamed to confess him before this wicked and adulterous generation. They confess their lords. Oh, they bow before their lords. They're out in the streets today celebrating their lords. They're out there glorifying their man. They got their man and they're glorifying, reveling in that. And they can go to have a drunken orgy right out there in the middle of the street. Yeah, they can run around naked and do the things that they want to do in the middle of the street. But I'm going to tell you something. They got their gods and they're going to worship them. But I recognize there's a true God. There's a real God. I'm going to tell you right now, I am not going to be ashamed to come into this place and wherever I may be. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And oh, I love him so. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I need wherever I go. I will not live without him. He's ever by my side. It's Jesus. Oh, it's Jesus. My faith Faithful friend and God, let him be glorified. Let his name be exalted. We are in his kingdom. You are, you are what you worship. You will become like what you bow to. It will become what you give your time to, what you give your affections to, when you're willing to give your emotion, when you're willing to give your time, when you're willing to give your energy, when you're willing to give your money, when you're willing to give your family to it. You'll become like that if you live in the face of God, if you worship the face of God. That countenance will shine on you, and what you glorify, you will become. And we don't become God, but we come like him in character. Yes. And if we behold his face, the spirit right. transforms yes. us from glory to glory. Yes. We're going to be faithful, loyal to his worship. I want you to work on thinking of this. It was preached Numerous times throughout the Gospel of Luke. Luke, Luke speaks, uses the phrase kingdom of God. Matthew, more the kingdom of heaven. 30 plus times, I believe you'll find it. Uh, I forget the numbers in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, but constantly 
throughout the Gospels, there's this emphasis. The kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. If you're going to come into the kingdom, you've got to become like a child. If you want to enter into the kingdom, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. If you will enter the kingdom, you must be born again. Over and over and over. Jesus says, he talks about that I'm a king. I've come into this world to bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that's of the truth, here's my voice. It's just his kingdom, his kingdom, his kingdom. Go to the book of Acts. What did he talk to them about before his advent? He talked to them about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. When the Holy Ghost came to ask him, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time to Israel? No, that's not your concern. You preach the gospel. Read the last verse of the book of Acts. And Paul is locked up or he's in a house arrest in Rome. And what is he doing? Preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. Philip went down to Samaria and preached to them the things concerning the kingdom of God. Read it. It's all in the book of Acts. It's all through the epistles. Get to the book of Revelation chapter 1. And John said, I am your companion in tribulation and in the patience in the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ. He said, where are the kingdom of the Lord. He has made us kings and priests. Yes. Woo! Glory to the Lamb of God. He has made us kings and priests and we live in the kingdom of Jesus Christ and the whole revelation is about the coming kingdom of God. Remind yourself of that. That the message of Pentecost is the message that advances the kingdom Lawful living and loyal living. Now I want to end with this note here this morning. There's a third element of Pentecost. I'm going to call it the radical element. So there's the gospel element. Got that number one. Pentecost is essential to the gospel message. I'm going to repeat that to you. Get it in your head. Quit worrying about whether or not they believe this or that. Concern yourself with what you believe. And Acts is a continuation of the gospel. If you would have been in the early church and told them, well, tongues one day is going to pass away and we're not going to have anybody get filled with the Holy Ghost to speak in tongues. They just said, what planet did you arrive off of? Are you one of those Gnostics? You know, where you got that special knowledge, revelation? You're one of those Gnostics. Get out of here. You're the spirit of Antichrist is what you... Oh, come on now. They didn't laugh chewed out. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Secondly, that second element is the kingdom element. Pentecost, the very coming of the spirit, was a sign that the kingdom has come. Peter said, the last days will pour out of my spirit. Go read Joel. That was a sign that the kingdom would come. Got it? I'm going to throw one more thing in that before I leave that. Get in this third element. On the day, the 50th day, when they came out of Egypt, if the calendar's right and it's counter right, it would be the first day of the week. When God came down on Sinai, Jewish tradition and understanding is that that was Pentecost. The law was given at Pentecost, and that's when the nation became a nation. They've been brought out. They now are in covenant with God. 
they have entered into the, the law was the covenant. That was the covenant that God made with his people. And the indication is it happened on Pentecost. Pentecost is the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, making it the first day of the week. <laughs> Woo, glory to the Lamb of God. You got to understand that. Yes, sir. And can I tell you, on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, he birthed a nation. In the Old Testament, he entered into a covenant and he birthed a nation and Israel was born. They are no longer just a bunch of folks wandering in the wilderness. They're not just a bunch of folks that have come out of Egypt. They're not just a bunch of folks who are trying to get out of jail and just do their own thing. They are now a nation of people. They've got laws. They've got a, a sacerdotal system. They have got a priesthood. They have got all of this series of worship they've got a liturgy they've got all of this thing that's been given to them they've got a diet they've got a dress code they've got a sanitation code they got a dietary code they've entered into covenant with God they're a nation a holy nation that have been separated from the nations of the world to be God's people and live under God's authority and on the day of Pentecost he made another nation it is the church of Jesus Christ we are a chosen generation we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a kingdom of priests. We've been brought out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he birthed us in Pentecost. We, and the implication is it happened on Resurrection Day, the first day of the week. Yes, our Sabbath has now become Sunday for us and that our celebration is not just a celebration of resurrection it's a celebration of Pentecost it's a celebration of the day we were birthed it's a celebration of the day the church became a living organism and has never died Woo! it's been hit on it's been beat on it's been corrupted by this and that but it has never ceased to exist it's never died out it never reached a place there's no burial ground there's no graveyard that says here lies the church there is no tombstone that said here lies the followers of Christ and it's all died out it's just in history no it's still alive it's still alive we're still celebrating why because Pentecost has made it real in our lives <laughs> the third thing is this radical element and this you got to remember I want to put it, it's radical in two ways. It's radical in its expression. It's radical in its expectation. Radical in its expression. Radical in its expectation. Radical in its expression. Let's talk about that a minute. I know I went through it before. You know it. You see what happened last week in camp meetings in this church would not be allowed in many churches. They'd have kicked us out. They said, you're nuts. But it's all right. They'd have kicked out Peter, too. Mary, the mother of Jesus, they'd have sent her packing. Yeah, because she spoke in tongues. Every one of them. Jesus' brothers, they're there. They all got filled with the Holy Ghost. Think about it for a moment. The expression of Pentecost, that initial expression of Pentecost... 
that became the repeated expression through the New Testament was speaking in tongues. That's radical. The cross was radical. To the world, it was foolish. So in speaking in tongues, the world thinks that's idiotic, foolish, something to make fun of. It's what drunks do. They gibber. They lose their coherency. Yeah, that's what they accused him of being, was drunk. That was radical. I want to talk about tongues just a moment, okay? We're, our place is a little different than Paul, or than Peter's and John that day and Paul's too, in the early church. Our place is a little different. There's one thing we have they didn't have. Peter didn't have to contend with Presbyterian theology, Baptist theology, Episcopalian theology, Methodist theology, Wesleyan theology, Mormons, Jehovah's Witness. The list goes on so big, you ain't got enough time to write it. He didn't have to deal with none of that. Church is in its infancy. It's new. It's not been corrupted. And they're first going to be called Christians in Antioch. Before that, they're just called the way. They're disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, the prominent name given to them. They're just followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. I'm going to tell you something. They're a radical bunch. They're radical, number one, because they believe a guy is raised from the dead that you can't see. They're radical because they believe that a man that walked among us was actually our creator. Yeah. They believe that they actually ate with the one who formed them in Genesis chapter 1. Yeah. They believe that. God in the flesh. That radical because they believe that his death on Calvary atones for sins of the whole world. That whoever will will come to that and will put their faith in Jesus Christ. Their sins will literally be washed away. But they believe he's the long-awaited for Messiah and the answer to Eve's hope of the seed of the woman that would come. They believe he's actually born of a virgin. They believe all of this. That's a radical crowd. They believe this Jesus of Nazareth is more than a carpenter. They worshiped him. They bowed to him. They, he proved to them he controls the winds. He controls this and he controls everything. He speaks to demons and they've got to go. He forgives sins. What a powerful thing that he does. They actually believe that this man they see, that can, he can actually forgive sins against God. That he must be God. It's amazing. They're radical in that regard. And they believe now, though they cannot see him, he literally sits at the right hand of God and he has all authority in heaven and he has all authority on earth. They believe that. But they become even more radical. They have now been filled with the third person of the Trinity. They have went beyond the Jewish belief because Jews do not believe in a Trinity. They are Unitarians and they are not Trinitarians. And now by accepting Christ, they have admitted to a second person in the Godhead. And now by accepting the Spirit, they've admitted to a third person in the Godhead. They have become Trinitarians and they are as radical as they come. And not only that, when they get together, they speak 
speak in other tongues. My, what's that all about? Well, I can tell you what it's all about. But let me first of all just say that there's an element here in Pentecost that the world cannot understand, that the world cannot receive. The Spirit, he said, the world cannot receive because they see him not, neither do they know him. Ah, but he said you know him. He has been with you. He shall be in you. We know him because we have received Christ. We receive the Spirit. Tongues. What's that all about? See, today we have to deal with now, was that necessary or not? Because I see the guys down the road, they don't believe that way, and they're Christian, and they live nice, they treat their wife nice. So I guess that's the standard now, huh? So let's just make our little list here. I notice we don't say, well, what about the church down the road? Well, I don't know about that, but I know what the Bible says. The church down the road becomes the standard of what is right instead of what thus saith the word of God. Well, they're living it. They seem to be doing just fine. And they don't speak in tongues. What's the big deal? Well, why don't you take that up with the Holy Ghost? Why don't you take it up with the scriptures instead of looking at that and letting that be the standard? Why don't we let the Bible be the standard? Why don't we go to God? And why don't we see? Why don't, why don't we read Acts chapter 2? Why don't we read Acts chapter 9? Why don't we read Acts chapter 8? Why don't we read Acts chapter 10? Why don't we read Acts chapter 19? Why don't we read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14? Why don't we read what the Bible has to say about it? Read Mark chapter 16. And they shall speak with new tongues. Glory to the Lord. Why don't you read that and say, well, God, I just don't know why we have to do that. Well, you can take it up with him all you want to, but I'm just going to take it. Glory to God. I'm not going to look at it in doubt. I'm going to look at it in faith. I'm going to ask God why, but I'm going to know it so, Lord, that I can praise you more and I can glorify you more. But if I cannot comprehend it, let me at least know it. Experience it. Why don't we get so caught up with that in things of salvation? Well, I just don't know how God can save me. I just don't know how the blood of Jesus can atone for all sins. I just don't know how He can be God in the flesh. Oh, no. We're willing to accept that. Because in Christendom, that's acceptable. That's not radical. That's normal. But speaking in tongues is radical. That's not normal. I'm just going to tell you something. That the church of the day that doesn't practice it would be strange in the sight of the early church. They would look at them. You need to get that mess out of your head. You need to start receiving what the Word of God says. I'm going to tell you a little bit about this tongues again. Just hang with me here a minute this morning. I've watched it during camp meeting. Thank God for those who receive the Holy Ghost. My goal is everybody filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what God wants. 
That's how he birthed the church. That's how Paul started Ephesus. Everybody filled with the Holy Ghost. Yes, sir. That's how he started the church. Paul, you're not going to preach till you're filled with the Holy Ghost. Samaria, we're not going to lock down to work here till you're filled with the Holy Ghost. Yes, sir. You're going to start anything among these Gentiles in Cornelius' house, you're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the way we're going to do it. Let's not let it divide us. Let's believe what the Word of God says. But I've watched folks. I'm not trying to be quick. I'm trying to help you here. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is Bible. This isn't my idea. I didn't dream this up. I didn't make this up. I'm not the inventor of this. It's in that book. And hundreds of thousands have experienced it. Not to mention the people in this room. Oh, I feel the Lord's presence. It's like Brother Teague sometimes. You feel that mean streak and you got to hold it back. You don't want to be mean. See, we're afraid sometimes to push, make that push because we're afraid that we say to that person who's not spirit-filled, you're a second-class citizen. We don't want to make them feel bad, and so we don't say anything. And If that person's really prideful, they'll say, you're making me feel bad because I'm not filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm not one of you. No, that's not it. And if I take your place, I'm going to say, sir, you're making me feel bad. Because you're not willing to live according to what God says. And you're telling me what I've got isn't necessary. I can take that position too. No, no, no. We don't take either position. We're sons of God. We've been made brothers. We've been baptized into Christ and we're forged together. And he wants his body filled with the Holy Ghost. He doesn't want just an arm filled with the Spirit. He doesn't want just a leg filled with the Spirit. He doesn't want just a knee filled with the Spirit. He doesn't want just the loins filled with the Spirit. He wants every member baptized in the Holy Ghost so that this body functions as a body that is perceptive, that is full, that is at, at, at the fullest capacity, at their most greatest capacity they can be at so that they can forge forward in the power of Pentecost. Pentecost today has become divisionary. Pentecost had become divisive, I should say. It has become something that has become a divisive tool instead of a uniting tool. It ought to be something that unites us. They were there in one accord, and God filled them with the Spirit. Let's get in one accord and say, God, fill us with the Spirit. Let's say, Lord, we're yours. We believe. We're children of the King. We know that we believe Christ has died and risen again. Fill us with the Holy Ghost. 